Lauren Boebert got absolutely wrecked on the floor of the House this week when she tried to introduce an amendment to a must-pass spending bill that would, of course, prevent the federal government from spending any of these appropriations on so-called sanctuary cities. Well, this didn't sit too well with Democratic Representative Steny Hoyer, and Mr. Hoyer decided to ask Boebert point blank on the floor of the House, show me in the bill where the money is going to sanctuary cities. That's not even what this bill is for, he said. So Boebert, could you please just show us what the hell you're talking about? And as per usual, Boebert could not point out anything in that legislation that did what she alleges the government wanted to do. Here she is getting absolutely destroyed by Steny Hoyer on the House floor. Take a look. I'm asking if you'll yield for a question. Sure. Ask your question. What funds in this bill are used uh, for the purposes you uh, uh, are opposed to? Sorry, I couldn't hear the gentleman. I was getting clarification. This is precautionary. Precautionary for what? I'm asking. There are sanctuary city policies. Yes, I understand. I understand what that are that are in place that are allowing the refuge of illegal aliens in these cities, and there is an influx in crime and drugs. I understand. In these cities, and there's no. There's no way for these folks to even report what is taking place because they are protected under this fake policy that has been created that is subduing the actual rule of law that we have in the Constitution of the United States. I understand that. But what you've said is none of the funds in this bill can be spent for that objective. And that is precautionary. What what funds are in this bill to be spent for that objective? I, I have seen this administration use all sorts of funds no, to protect illegal aliens. Re- reti- and this reclaiming is my time, Ms. To ensure that it will not be. Reclaiming my time. There are no funds in this bill to do that. So this is a, just an opportunity for you to stand and perhaps speak about an important subject. I understand that. But there are no funds in this bill to accomplish that objective. So let me go ahead and just kind of sum up what representative Hoyer was doing there because not only did he put Bobert back on her heels and she's like, ah, I didn't hear you. I was talking to this person, but no, we're doing this not because it is in there, but because it may happen, even though technically because it's an appropriations bill, it actually can't happen that way because the funds are only directed for what Congress says they can be used for, but still let's just do it for the sake of doing it. So Hoyer pointed out that, Hey, you wanted to get some brownie points, right? You know, you wanted to make a splash with conservatives, you know, maybe, maybe, and I'm sure Hoyer was thinking this, even though he didn't say it, maybe you're looking at a very tough reelection race because of your theatrics, we'll call them. And so you needed a win. You needed something that was going to show your conservative base that, Hey, I can still do things even though, you know, I'm in trouble for doing other things. I can still do things in Congress. That's what Hoyer was pointing out that your actions here today in the house of representatives, Lauren, this isn't about actually trying to solve a problem. This is about you trying to get some brownie points with the people who currently despise you because of what you did during Beetlejuice. 
And for the record, let's go ahead and address Lauren Boebert's talking points, right? I'm not going to let her just get away with those lies talking about these sanctuary cities and oh my God, the crime is overwhelming in these cities. No, it's not. There's not a ton of research available, but there are statistics. So we can look at the statistics and we actually see that in these uh, so-called sanctuary cities, the more immigrants that come into a sanctuary city, the lower the crime rate drops. The homicide rate, like um, according to the government's own statistics, when you have like X number of immigrants, like every time you hit a new data point in the number of immigrants that come into a sanctuary city, the homicide rate actually drops by half a percentage point. So you put more immigrants in there, you have fewer murders. You have less crime overall. And do you all know why that is? It's because these are people who, yes, may be in the country illegally. So if they get in trouble, if they break the law, the punishments for them are going to be far more severe because they're likely going to be deported back to a place where they may not stand a chance of surviving. So those folks actually obey the law more than U.S. citizens. So let's just make sure that we're all on the same page that not only is Lauren Boebert lying about what happens in sanctuary cities, but she clearly also has no idea what's in the very legislation that she is trying to amend. Donald Trump got some pretty horrible news from Judge Tanya Chutkin this week when she issued a three-page ruling telling Donald Trump that he has until mid-January to state in the affirmative or in the negative if he is going to be using an advice of counsel defense at trial. Now, the prosecution, a couple weeks ago, had filed a motion with Judge Chutkin saying, Judge, we have to get a clear answer from him if he's going to use the advice of counsel defense, because if he is, then that opens up this whole new world of documents and discovery that we have to be able to access prior to the trial. So if he's going to do that, he has to say it so we can prepare with those new pieces of evidence. Chutkin's three page ruling came out this week. And she agreed with the prosecution. She said, quote, as he has consented to do, defendant shall provide formal notice whether he intends to assert an advice of counsel defense by January 15th, 2024. If defendant does provide affirmative notice of that intent, he must also provide the required discovery to the government at that time. Any communications or evidence defendant intends to use to establish the defense and otherwise privileged communications that defendant does not intend to use at trial, but that are relevant to proving or undermining the advice of counsel defense in their entirety. So basically what she's saying is if you're going to come to court and try to throw your lawyers under the bus. Uh, This is for the January 6th trial, by the way. If you're going to throw the lawyers under the bus, then you cannot claim attorney-client privilege. We have to be able to see those communications. You have to turn them over in their entirety to Jack Smith and the special prosecutor's office. You cannot claim executive privilege over any of it either. So it's not just attorney-client privilege he has to waive. He has to waive executive privilege, which he shouldn't have anyway, but he can't even try to make that claim. All privilege claims go out the window. 
if Donald Trump wants to throw his lawyers under the bus. And to be honest, that probably is his best defense, right? You know, saying, listen, I've, I've said this a hundred times. <laughs> I should just record it and just push a button to play it every time. But anyway, Trump could easily say, listen, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the law as well as these guys do. They were telling me I could do this. I listened to them. I can't be in trouble for, for the advice of my counsel. It is a pretty decent legal defense, but in this particular instance, not super great because he did have these lawyers over here, your Giuliani's, your Powell's, your Eastman's telling him he could do these things. But then you had a whole gaggle of lawyers over here, including white house counselor, uh, Pat Cipollini telling him, no, you cannot, you can't do these things. So it's not a good defense in this particular case because he had lawyers on both sides telling him what he could do and that he couldn't do it or he could do it, maybe do it. I don't know. He didn't know, but he knew exactly what he wanted to hear. So he chose to listen to the idiots and ignored the advice of the people who knew better. But I think the important thing with her ruling is not only that you have to say, if you're going to throw these lawyers on the bus, but you got to give us everything, not just the stuff you're going to present in court. You have to give us everything else too, because it could be relevant for the prosecutors to undermine your defense. Oh, and you have to give it in its entirety. Okay. You can't pick and choose which ones you can't black out certain areas. No, 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 no. In its entirety, she says in her ruling. And if Trump doesn't want to go that route, okay, good. You don't have to turn anything over. You don't have to waive these privileges, but at the same time, that means you can't come to court and try to blame it on anybody else. It's all on you at that point. So effectively with this ruling, judge Chutkin says, Donald Trump, here is a rock. Here is a hard place. I want you to go right in between those two and tell me which one you prefer, because at this point there is no good outcome for you. Special Prosecutor Jack Smith's office filed a new motion or filing, I guess you would call it, in court this week, laying out how they want to approach Donald Trump in trial. And what they've said in this new filing is that they are essentially going to pin the blame for the January 6th Capitol riot or the insurrection, whatever you want to call it. They're going to pin the blame of that on Donald Trump, because as they argue in their filing, this was part of Donald Trump's efforts to obviously obstruct an official proceeding of Congress. Now, let me read you what they wrote in the filing. And this is very important, by the way, I get to that in just a moment, but here's what they said specifically. The defendant here is charged with four related criminal counts, including conspiring to obstruct and obstructing the official certification proceeding on January 6th. Essential to those charges are factual allegations and evidence that the proceeding was in fact impeded, namely by a large crowd, including individuals whom the defendant had directed at the Capitol that violently advanced on the Capitol building to create quote, a catastrophic security risk. They also argue that this was part of Donald Trump's effort to intimidate members of Congress to get them to vote against certifying the 2020 election results, which of course is part of the conspiracy charges against Donald Trump. Now, this is not an easy claim for the prosecutors to make in court. 
I, I agree with the tactic, but they have got to have all of their ducks in a row in order to be successful with this, because since they're going this route, they're not only going to have to prove all the charges against him, but in order to prove those charges, they now also have to prove that Donald Trump inspired the rally on purpose. Okay. Saying that Donald Trump inspired the rally, inspired the riot. Sorry. Um, we know that his words inspired the riot, but did he do it knowingly? Could Donald Trump have known that these people were going to march to the Capitol to storm the barricades, to, to go in there and start stealing and breaking stuff? That is a very difficult thing to prove but not impossible because you don't just have to prove that he knew it would happen. Okay. There may be a way around that. And here's how that would work. Donald Trump may not have known that that crowd was going to storm the Capitol, but once they did storm the Capitol, this is where things get interesting. This is where the prosecutors can prove their point. What did Donald Trump do to stop them? He was the president of the United States. He has the full force of the United States military at his disposal. So what did he do? He could have put out a statement earlier in the day telling these people, stop it, knock it off, go home. I don't like this. This is wrong. You're bad people. But he waited until late afternoon. Those facts are the ones that they're going to be able to use to prove that Donald Trump approved and accepted what was taking place at the Capitol. So they can get around the fact that they're not going to be able to prove that he knew they would storm the Capitol by saying that once it happened, he didn't do anything to stop it because it was obstructing Congress from doing their job. So suddenly it's not such a daunting task anymore. And I'll tell you what else happens here in going this route. They're going to uncover more internal communications more than they already have, even though they already have a lot of them. That's going to show Donald Trump sitting on his butt, eating Cheetos, watching Fox news as people storm the Capitol. All of this evidence that they produce to show that Donald Trump was complacent with what was happening. Uh, borderline complicit, if you will, they'll be able to share that eventually with the civil trials against Donald Trump. Hell, if it's still going on, they may even be able to share that with these lawsuits, trying to get Donald Trump kicked off the ballot using the 14th amendment. So the implications of this go way beyond just this case, but one case at a time, I think the government can easily prove what they're trying to prove here. And if they're successful with that, it makes it a lot easier to prove the criminal charges against him as well. Now, for a long time now, I've been saying that I, I firmly believe Alina Haba is one of the worst attorneys in the United States of America today. You may have a different opinion, but let me, if I may, try to persuade you to get on my side of the fence by offering you this little piece of evidence from just this week. You see, when Ivanka Trump was on the stand on Wednesday, 
prosecutor started showing all these emails that she was sending, you know, to people like Alan Weisselberg, where she was openly fretting, oh no, daddy doesn't have enough money to get this loan. What are we going to do? And I mean, honest to God though, with evidence like that, I don't know how she got herself dismissed from the trial. Like she was involved in all of it. Like that much is pretty obvious from the evidence, but either way, they're showing these emails to Ivanka and they're asking her about her. And of course she doesn't remember anything, you know, God, how amnesia hits you once you walk into court is astounding. But then Alina Haba got a little mad, right? She doesn't like you showing all these emails to Ivanka. So at one point, Alina Haba objected to one of the emails that Ivanka Trump was being asked about by the prosecutors. She objected to it. And she objected on the grounds that ah, 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 you cannot show this because this email was actually never sent. This was a draft email. It wasn't sent. So she didn't actually say these things. She was going to say these things, but she didn't actually say these things. Ha <laughs> ha. Gotcha. Alina Haba thought to which prosecutors then had to say, okay, um, there's two, there's two problems with what you just said. First and foremost, Alina, if you actually, if you, if you look at the little date right here, um, that's where it was sent. See, it says sent, sent. Okay. She did send the email. Um, but, but more poignantly, Alina, you're objecting to evidence that your side brought to court. See, it turns out that these emails, these documents that the prosecutors were using to question Ivanka, they weren't from the prosecutors. They were actually from Alina Haba and Donald Trump's legal team. So Alina Haba objected to her own evidence. I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen it. I don't know that I have ever seen that a lawyer brings these things into court. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, no, no. Object, object, object. No, no, that, that doesn't happen. That happens in bad movies where you're trying to show, Hey, this is what a really stupid lawyer would look like, but it happened in the New York trial this week with Alina Haba. She objected to her own evidence. It gets a little dumber too. When you think about the implications of that, as I have pointed out, I have worked in a law firm for over 19 years now, closing in on 20 years in a law firm. I have never out of all the trials they've done. And this is a law firm, by the way, that has handled the biggest trials in the country. Think of any, uh, they did the tobacco cases for God's sakes, the asbestos cases, the, the PFAS, right? The C8, all of that, the BP oil spill, the law firm I work at did all of that. And every time they've got a case, do you know what they do? They go over every single word and every single document. There could be hundreds of thousands. There could be millions of documents, but they have teams and everybody, multiple people read every single word of every single document. Alina Haba clearly along with the rest of Donald Trump's legal team didn't do that. They didn't do that. She would have known that this wasn't a draft email and it was essentially a sent email, not essentially it was a sent email because it said so right on there. So they're sloppy with the evidence, with their own evidence. And that's why she had to object to it because she didn't know what was in her own documents. When I tell you that I have never seen a lawyer do this, trust me, this is coming from experience folks, a 20 year legal career that I've had. I'm not a lawyer, but I've been in the legal field for 20 years. 
And I have never seen anything that comes close to this kind of just ridiculously stupid and embarrassing behavior. And yet every week, sometimes multiple times per week, Alina Haba comes out there and blows my mind by doing something even dumber than she somehow did the day before. Thanks for listening to today's Fair and Balanced Daily. Stay up to date with all of our content by finding us on YouTube at youtube.com slash fairandbalanced and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fairandbalanced. 